welcome to First Person Shriders, where we've made it to season four. Woo! Keep in mind, this is it's episode almost two. like we're a real show. Uh, and this is episode two. Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's an episode one intro. Yeah. Whoops. Welcome to First Person Shriders. We're we're really not that professional, and we uh, this is our first time recording out of order, and so we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> hey. Um. Yes, anyway, I'm just going to leave that as the intro, I don't care. Uh, so this week, um, we have no Cassie, but um, we've got Aiden subbing in. Hello. Hey up. Uh, so let's do a little introduction. I'm Kitty. I'm your resident indie expert. I'm Aiden. I'm uh, y- your guest for the week, and I'm going to give some RPG opinions. <laughs> You're our returning guest. Uh, you're, uh, you're, you, we keep your seat warm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, you're a semi-regular. Um, we, yeah. we can't get enough of the mustache. Um, I, hello, everyone. And I'm Chris, and I'm like, you know, like my action games, RPG, and strategy games, but really just anything that's decent. I love complaining too. There was like one week where you had like a really succinct introduction, and that was <laughs> never again. That was fairly succinct. Sure. Uh... <laughs> All right, so um, we uh, we talked a lot about Baldur's Gate last week, um, and so this week we're going to talk a little bit more about all of the other games that we played during the summer. Uh, so who would like to take it away? Well, um, I, yeah, I think Chris. Oh, know. but I well, no, I can. I think you didn't on myself, and I did. We didn't ask you, Kitty, if you'd played any Starfield at all. I haven't. No. Okay. Um, big, obviously, no interest. Um, yeah, so I played quite a bit of Starfield. Uh, I had been playing, you know, as I was saying, Baldur's Gate up to uh, for a while, but then Starfield came out and I wanted to get through it uh, because it's a Game Pass subscription. I might move on from Game Pass or take a break for a while after this. So just focusing an awful lot on Starfield. And uh, yeah, I was Wait, always sorry, really interested. Starfield is on Pass? Starfield mm-hmm. is on Game Pass. Because oh, okay. Because, I didn't realize that. Yeah, because Microsoft just owned Bethesda Game Studios now. True, true. Um, so it's really interesting as a game because, I mean, obviously Bethesda games have been a big thing in the industry. Skyrim was a massive deal. All the Fallouts were a massive deal. And everyone's always very, very interested in what those games are and how good they are and how they're received. But it's also just interesting, I think, because, you know, Microsoft just bought Bethesda and I think Microsoft want more flagship titles for their platform um, as, like, exclusives. And also, they like it's all that's all increasingly interesting because Bethesda's last game, Fallout seventy six, wasn't very good. So, you know, um, yeah. All that said, I downloaded Starfield. Very interested. Uh, it, I fucking love anything to do with space. I love my RPGs, and I quite enjoyed variably the other uh, Bethesda game works like RPGs. And this one is decent. I I like it, but I don't love it. Um, it's been sort of given, it's been getting the reputation of a kind of Fallout 4 in space. And in some senses, that's very reductive. They have tried to add a few things to that formula. But in another sense, it very much is just Fallout in space. Like, um, it's the sort of first person shooting mechanics of Fallout 4. In fact, the combat feels incredibly similar. So it's not great, but it's good. It's fine. Uh, and then the rest of it is just, if you've played any Bethesda RPG, it's it's got all those tropes, good and bad. So it's got that very solid, mm. 
gameplay loop of the you turn up at a settlement, you talk to a lot of people, they have the thousand mile stare, the, they all look a little bit weird, and they send you out to various markers on the map. Um, only this time the map is the universe. <laughs> so you go to the marker, you kill a bunch of people, or maybe you talk to someone and you come back with a thing. And that's what's been happening since Skyrim to Fallout. And it's always been fine, like because it's just a vehicle to get you to move through an interesting world that they've created, whether that be the post-apocalyptic Fallout or the fantasy Skyrim. So it was always fine that that was a little bit basic in RPG senses. Like, we talked about how just advanced Baldur's Gate 3 is and the reactivity of it. Mm. Uh, this is nowhere near that. And, like, it's it's noticeable that Baldur's Gate 3 feels like... I mean, they talk about generational leaps in consoles in terms of games. Where were you saying Baldur's Gate 3 is so advanced in terms of gameplay? This is... I, I, it's literally, like, it feels like playing Fallout 4. And, like, the writing's like mm-hmm. Fallout 4. The dialogue is particularly advanced. Um, it's still fun to play and go out and do those things. And the space stuff they added in, uh, like the building the ships, is is fun. Like, I did spend a couple of hours one evening just building my ship, and as a bit of a sci-fi geek, that's fun. However, it's got it's taken one step forward and two te- steps back, because where you were exploring a coherent open world in Fallout or Skyrim, now you've got basically this massive procedurally generated universe, which doesn't have curated or crafted content. And... Like, the exploration is just loading screens because you you don't fly direct. Of course, you you jump through loading menus and you select destinations. And so where you used to walk through a world in their previous games, now it's gated by menu systems. And Mm. you you get to these places, like, you jump to a planet's orbit, then you you load down to the planet, and then it's just a lot of it's procedurally generated. If it's not one of the core, like, core story worlds, of which there are, like, a handful, I've got to about five so far. Sounds really boring. It kind of... Yeah, it's it's they've stripped out the soul out of it, really. Um, so yeah, the the, so, the space stuff they added is good, but the the exploration's just worse now. I think. Yeah. So Aiden, you played it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, are there I, any um, points there that you agree or disagree with, Chris? I I sort of agree with all of them, but I'm less charitable charitable about it. Um, so I went I went in being very skeptical about it. I was like, this is going to be a bad game. I just had a feeling. I was like, I'm not going to like this. I was trying to talk a friend down from like he was about to impulse buy an Xbox just to get it. And I was like, don't just it's not going to be good, man. You're not going to like it as much as you think you are. And then I got it and I really didn't like it very much, but not for the reasons I thought. I thought it was going to be like uniformly mediocre. And what frustrated me was that there are some elements of it that I actively love and I think are really, really good. And then the things that are bad are so bad that I, for me, I just had to stop playing. I was like, nope, I'm not playing this game anymore. I hate the writing. I think the, like the actual like quests, nar- like the, the narrative structure of it. I was like, this is insulting because it's not an engaging story and I have no agency in it. I'm just watching a bad story be told at me and being told that I'm affecting it, but I'm not really. Um, mm-hmm. And there are a few things that I don't understand how it got through playtesting. Because as Chris was saying about it all being loading screens, like, to go from one planet to another, I could open up a menu. I, I could, if I wanted to do it in character, I could walk to my ship, have a loading screen to get onto the ship, walk to the bridge, have a loading screen to sit down, open up a menu, have a loading screen to get into space. I could then open up another menu to set my destination, get another loading screen. So you could do it like that, which would be the the most realistic way you could do it in game but they all you know pretending to be your character or you can open a menu and hit one button and automatically fast travel to the next mission marker so they give you a way that is 
just a better use of your time that's even more boring than the way they've built in. It's really weird. It's sort of like the game feels like, to me, it encourages you to skip content even more than they've already baked in yeah. all of the skipping. I uh, I get the feeling they didn't play test yeah. all that much. And I came off the back that's of replaying No Man's Sky. And I think just being in No Man's Sky and like never having a loading screen, like I'm just constantly flying, taking off, landing, it... It just felt weird that Bethesda weren't able to do the same. I want to be able to fly from space and land my ship on a planet and then get out. And I can't do that in a game about flying to planets and getting out of your ship. It's really weird. Uh, like, but the base building's fun. That was the main thing. I love the I, like That kept me occupied for a good two days. And then I went, oh, I better do the main quest again. And I got to a key story point and went, no, I hate how this is written. And then just stopped playing. So, yeah. Um, I'll go back in yeah, the, three years when there's mods. That's my plan. Yeah, I think like they were, they were building it as, okay, this is our RPG formula for, with all of its good and bad points, but there's space exploration. And the exploration is just not compelling. No. Um, there's the menu thing we've, we've rambled on about, but then like there's nothing on these procedurally generated planets. There's there's four, and when I say there are five, four or five core planets, there may be more, I haven't finished yet. It doesn't matter if they're up to ten. There's like a city on those planets you want to go and look at and there's something yep. curated or crafted. Like the game's kind of ugly. It sits in this weird space where it doesn't have the super high fidelity of like first party games like say God of War or let's just say Forza, it doesn't matter. And it doesn't have the unique charm of less graphical like indie games that aren't graphical powerhouses but have a unique art style. It's just this weird kind of ugly procedurally generated like yep planets and weird animations and so it doesn't even feel like compelling to look at or listen to uh, i guess some of the music's kind of nice um but and also nice. but, yeah um you're, you, there's this encumbrance system they have in it and it's just really harsh you may have heard of this where it's like you pick up a few things and you're just over encumbered so you can't fast travel or go away you can upgrade this and spec into a better you version of it fast but that travel when you're encumbered there's a, if you pick up too much stuff, you can't walk around, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or you know, I, your movement's okay. severely inhibited. So, again, two things against expiration. And that brings me to my other, like, bugbear with it, like a major one. A lot of just basic skills, like stealth or better carry capacity, are locked behind the RPG progression system. And it's really stingy at giving points out. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just like... And the, and the loot when you explore isn't... There's never anything great to find anyway. It's so-so, so it's just, okay, you're a Bethesda RPG with this, like, next, touted next level of exploration, but you've put so many barriers in front of it, I just, and there's nothing to find. Like, why, why, I'm just going to blitz through the main mission on the sort of faction side, uh, faction quests, and that's kind of it, and I think I'll be done with it. Yeah, a few yeah. things actually, on like, the encumbrance system is absolutely ludicrous, but after playing for about three days, I just console commanded and gave myself 10,000 kilograms of carry capacity. And the game is infinitely better. Like it, it, it just makes the game better because it there's no, there's no fun mechanical engagement in not being able to pick up the things you want to pick up. Because the only way to do it would be to level up. And if you're looking at like a gun you want and you can't pick it up on one planet, you're like, well, I'm gonna have to go to ten other planets to level up, and I'm gonna forget about this gun. I want to pick it up now. So just yeah. change your carry capacity, and you will enjoy the game more. Um, but yeah, the the gated <laughs> system really... is really strange for the way they level, the way you have to level up. You have to hit like mini quests to get the next level of a skill so like you unlock That's the ability weird. to sneak but then you would have to kill 10 people while sneaking to get the next level and then 20 it's yeah there's a lot of little 
just I, like micromanaging, I, micromanaging yeah. your own play style to be able to progress. There, there's one of those things. It's it's a really really simple ideology in game development, and like I'm gonna say it, and you're gonna be like, yeah, of course. But the really simple ideology is a designer finding the fun in a game, right? And what that requires is playtesting. It requires playtesting your game with outside people. You're not looking at your system and actually seeing if they find it fun or not. And then finding the fun out of what you've created and distilling to that rather than overcomplicating it with stupid mechanics that nobody actually likes. And it really sounds like they've missed that like... And the reason people talk about it is because so it's a common thing that's missed by a lot of developers and a lot of designers, even though it's so simple. Find in your game what's fun and distill into that. And it really sounds like they haven't done that. It sounds like they've just been like, mm, I'm a designer and I'm so smart and I'm going to make all these mechanics and systems. That's a really good boring. Todd Howard impression as yeah. well. Spot on. Thank you. <laughs> I try. Um, I, I mean, I think, yeah, you could somewhat, like, I, I know, like, you know, I, I do the thing where I complain about video games and it's, and it's funny. And I don't want to be too, like, I am still playing it and I will see it through to the end. But this is like, I expected more, I think, because it took forever for them to make this. Um, and, you know, it's not even a case of, oh, if you loved Skyrim and Fallout, I think you'll love this. I think there are actually certain decisions have been made where you might have loved Skyrim and Fallout and you'll come to this and go, oh, this is just a bit too awkward, which is which is the weird mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. So anyway, let's see what they do with The Elder Scrolls 6 in 12 years' time. Uh, who knows? <laughs> yeah, that wasn't one of your more ranty complaints, though. That was just like, a that was a complaint. That was I'm, fine. I'm tempering myself for now. But like, and you should not. Well, steer into that. Well, no, I guess as, it's kind of my stick now. I don't like uh, giving numerical values to games, but it's a very healthy four out of ten for me. Like it is. Ooh, not, that's low. Oh, that's low. I'd a give it a little game, higher. I think. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think, I think it's a waste of players' time. <laughs> I'm gonna change uh, our our little channel status so everyone in the Discord can see. Starfield is a four out of ten. Oh, spoiler for them. I, I, I would, I'd read it. I think I'm getting a little bit more enjoyment out of it. But again, I'm that's because I'm like digging through the, the stuff that's annoying to that sort of core yeah, loop. Even a bit more resilience. But I guess patience with it. Yeah. Anyway, so it sounds like I made the right decision to have no interest in it. Hundred percent. Kitty, did you play Skyrim or Fallout? Were you a big fan of it? <laughs> no. Okay. You... <laughs> Do you know what? It's something about because I I'm less so now, but. I've always been a bit of a completionist. Oh. And anytime, like I played, I tried Skyrim and I tried Fallout. And you know what? The first bit in Fallout where you're in the bunker and you're like dicking around, I'm like, oh, this is great. Love this, blah, blah, blah. The moment I'm in the outside world, I'm just like so overwhelmed. I'm just done. <laughs> Every time. I think the last time, I think I played Fallout 2 or 3 or something. <laughs> and I accidentally murdered the entire first village. And I was like, well, <laughs> I don't think this is my game. <laughs> I don't know how this happened, but it did. You didn't like what you found out about yourself, basically. <laughs> it wasn't the game that was the problem. It was me yeah. and my Fallout psychopathic was a mirror. tendencies. <laughs> I guess so. Oh, no. Right. Fair enough. Um, I've only got one more to... Well, I'll, I guess I'll finish that by saying, you know, again, Baldur's Gate 3 is, is just so good. And <laughs> I know Starfield is a different type of RPG, a different type of game in some respects, but also... They're the two big flagship RPGs, and one is clearly and we'll better. we'll be comparing any of those big AAA games to Baldur's Gate for a really long time, and the problem is, is that the level of quality Baldur's Gate achieved is is it's not an easy quality to achieve. It it's really difficult, and I don't necessarily think it's the new standard so much as everything will be compared to it for a long time now. Yeah, 
Yeah. So. I'll um I'll talk about just one more that I played over the summer that I didn't really touch on last week. Um, Final Fantasy sixteen. Oh, did you like it? Nah, I thought I did, <laughs> and then I just uh, I, I yeah, I haven't heard good things from anybody I know who's played it, and I'm a avid Final Fantasy fan, so I'm just like staying away from it. Uh, Thirteen was enough. I'll give a like a relatively brief summary because it's been a while now anyway. But uh, from what I can, this is the impression it left on me um, from earlier this year. I played the demo and actually it really impressed me because it was sort of the director of Devil May Cry came in or one of the people who worked him out in the combat, which is really slick, smooth action combat. I thought, great, I really like that type, kind of combat. The demo was fun. It was all kind of Games of Thronesy, and that's fine. Uh, no problem there with that. But then whenever I got the actual game, it, it never moved much beyond those basic concepts and it increasingly left the games of thronesiness behind and just became a bit the overly fantastical nature of final fantasy that i presume is present in the series i'm not a, like a consistent player of the series mm. and that again there's nothing wrong with that on its own but if you start off quite serious it, it, it's just jarring between the two different mm. tonal styles and that's one just of a litany that's, of issues. Like the, I kind of feel like the tonal jumps is a bit of a Final Fantasy uh, tropish kind of thing. Like if you think about Final Fantasy VII, that was very tonally quite serious, and then some of the weird, queer, campy, outlandish shit that would happen or that you'd do in that game, that you don't really like. As an adult, I feel like replaying it is when I remember. I'm like, oh yeah, you do go into like uh basically uh, a whorehouse and watch people be serviced and it's all weird and magical and you do dress up as a woman and there's a whole thing about it but what sticks in your head is the planet is dying and you must save it and Sephiroth is you know that's I, I, you know that, that's kind of like the theme is serious but the yes it's it's it, i felt it was from what i played of the seven remake uh the the sort of moment to moment tone was consistent you know the campiness and the silliness was there like okay fucking wedge was in your terrorist cell i mean come on <laughs> it's like, like but um th this was What's more of a like the overall theme uh changed but anyway maybe that's not the biggest th the, the biggest deal with it is you know as slick and cool as the combat was it just didn't change very much after it takes ages to get going and even when they give you new abilities and things to work into it um it, it doesn't really change Never what you do you just you just pick like because you only map like three or four abilities uh, or like a certain number of abilities to your action buttons and you just pick the most powerful ones and go in and clear room um and the most egregious thing is that the world is just not interesting it's not open world it's kind of like a semi-open world thing where you're going through there's like hub settlements and there's different bits of it you can jump to but there's nothing interesting to find there's no point to exploring you're just going out and finding packs of like scorpions and bandits and it's really bad like it's it's really boring to explore uh and then uh and, and the outside of the main story missions and even sometimes within those kind of fetch quest uh filler missions are there a lot and like that got really grating and by the time i got to the end of it i was i was just done with it it was just it got repetitive the world wasn't that interesting and it was such a shame because it started off quite interesting but by the end i was just like i'm getting through this so it's done and you know, you're not yeah you're not the first person to say that i was having a chat with amy after the final fantasy 7 rebirth trailer came out me and her were just like screaming at each other on the phone about it um and uh uh she mentioned that she'd played 16 and that it was really bad too so yeah good. another one to avoid <laughs> i like being told what to avoid well, this is good i will not waste my time 
yeah and that's that's it um and then super brief i started playing 30 minutes of cocoon last night uh it seems oh i just downloaded it uh, first impression again 30 minutes uh, it's very beautiful i love that it's colorful uh, i'm just not in the mindset for like uh one of those sort of environmental puzzle things right now but i think i'm going to enjoy coming back to that in like january time yeah. and uh, working through it after i've gotten through all of these massive games uh, that keep releasing this year so but yeah so for context cocoon is made by the same people that make inside mm-hmm. and oh, okay. limbo so it's that kind of it looks like it's different again it looked from the thing that visually it looks very different um and obviously story is going to be different but i feel like tonally mm. and mechanically you're, it looked like that same vibe i enjoyed that vibe i liked both of those games so me too so i downloaded yeah. it and i'm now i'm excited no fanfare though like hmm. i i, I really i find it because i booted up xbox pass and i was like oh what's this and i tend to always look at like what's the latest releases on xbox pass and i was like what's this thing and i looked and i was like by the creators of it and i'm like why have i heard nothing about this hmm. like well wasn't there a split in their company as well because i think there were like two head devs at the top of that company and i think hmm. they had maybe a less than amicable split after inside and i think Ooh. there are now two studios so right yeah but there was still no announcement that this that game weird. was being released like i didn't hear anything and I, i'm kind of shocked by that still but anyway yeah uh so uh you're not in the mood for it right now chris but when you're in the mood you think you'll enjoy yeah, it i want to knock off some of the the, the big games because i'm struggling to finish them uh, but once i get yes. them done i think it's going to be a lovely little palette cleanser around christmas time so watch the space Especially because those games are only like usually an hour too long yeah right? apparently this one's like six but that's perfect you know Ugh. What is it doing? <laughs> All right, cool, awesome. So, um, Aiden, you talked about Starfield already. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about some of the other games? Uh, the the that thing that stopped played? me playing Starfield was Cyberpunk. <laughs> We're not done with Starfield. <laughs> well, no, because I sort of thought I was like, uh, I needed a break from Baldur's Gate because I got to the start of Act Three after putting in like a hundred and twenty odd hours, and I was like, yep, absolute masterpiece. But I'm gonna, I need a little mental break from strategy. Played Starfield for a week and a half. We all know my thoughts. And then uh, I was like, okay, at midnight, the new Cyberpunk update's coming out. I'm going to dive back in and Ooh. see if all of the much-touted up- upgrades uh, have made a difference. And for me, they really have. I am abs- like having an absolute ball with it. It's really, really fun. Um, mainly because they've just gutted the skill tree in the progression system and completely oh. rebuilt it from the ground up. Because it used to be a lot of, like, incremental bonuses. Like, you were spending a skill point to get plus 3% on pistol aiming while shooting from the hip. And you're like, oh, great, cool. Um, Now everything is a weird, like, mechanical ability that you have. Like, you're properly built, like, doing builds. And you have to focus on maybe only two of the six attributes. So you really feel like you're making a proper character with a a dedicated play style. Um, and yeah, I'm just having so much fun with it. It's 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 really good. They've ironed out nice. loads of bugs. They've improved the driving. There's like weapons on vehicles now. There's a proper wanted system with the police. So you the world mm. feels more reactive. Like even just little things. Like I've had cop cars start chasing me because of what felt like just a traffic infraction. And it's nice. Like you go, oh crap, I need to kind of, I need to behave. Um, so no, I'm, I'm having so much fun with it. Um, and it's still, it looks gorgeous. It is a very pretty game. And like yeah. some of the writing is, some of the writing's amazing. 
And actually, all the performances are amazing. There are a couple of, you know, kind of slightly cringy, edgelordy teen moments in the writing, but they are, relatively speaking, few and far between. And most of it's just a pretty yeah, cool, yeah. engaging, uh, well-delivered nice. storyline with, with, like, nice, like, really cinematic set pieces. It, okay. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And apparently, although I haven't got to it yet, the DLC is meant to be phenomenal. Um, like... Rock, Paper, Shotgun, who I tend to tend to put a reasonable amount of stock in. I I, I tend to align with most of the reviewers. Um, and I think they were saying this, like, arguably is one of the greatest pieces of DLC, like self-contained DLC ever made. They were like, it is just narratively super tight. It's like a really fun espionage thriller. Um, nice. So, yeah. Their DLCs, uh, CD Project Red's DLCs, yeah. like some of the Witcher, like, the I think it was Blood and Wine mm-hmm. was the one that everyone was like, this is like better than the rest of the Witcher game. Yeah. Um, so that's really cool to hear because I, I felt like uh, Cyberpunk was going to be a game that I liked and then it released to what it released to. Um, and I was just holding off. So maybe some point in the near future, I'll pick it up then. Yeah, because I like... There you go. When I played it back in the day, I, I had fun for what it was and saw lots of flaws in it. And I know this is now be the second time I've done it, saying I don't really like giving game scores, but it went from like a five and a half, six up to a pretty comfortable, I think, like nine out of ten now. I really, really like wow. it. Wow. Yeah. Like, and the fact that I sandwiched Starfield between Baldur's Gate and this was just all the more damning for my opinions on Starfield because I've gone like, oh no, these are the two ways. Like, that's how you do a proper mechanical like freedom RPG with Baldur's Gate and Cyberpunk is how you do a really story driven quite on the rails RPG. Um yeah. and yeah, Starfield hit neither of those. <laughs> and we were talking about before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about how like you know, we w- like I I wish anyway that companies like CD Project Red would just do what Baldur's Gate did and put games into early access way earlier right because they've spent the last i don't know how many years now working on this game um after release and if they just put into early access gotten you know early money but also all of that data and information they would have got from players with the expectation of this game isn't finished there's going to be bugs like i don't i don't understand why they don't see that as a viable option rather than just going to full release and then having everybody crucify them because the game obviously isn't done like it makes no sense to me and it never will but like you know developers you'll never listen to this podcast but if you do (laughs) consider early access consider playtesting consider the data because i think larian were in this unique position where the very top of their tree is the one is the person Mm. saying we should do early access and, and do this whereas i think bethesda and cd project red they, they, there's a it's higher done. master crack in the whip so that's like oh no it, it has yeah. to come out or it or it's not it out those are the two states it's very i want to say archaic way of thinking when game development is still such a relatively new industry where it's still less than 100 years old the methodology and the processes are definitely not set in stone everybody does things a bit differently to be like this is the way we do things is very it is a, an older way of thinking and it's outdated 100%, especially when you live in the digital age and you've been living here for, you know, a solid 20 years now at least. But, um, yeah, uh, I'll still pick it up yeah. now that it's, and like, a game. It's a game now, but also it's stranger it's still because it's not, like, 
games that don't have early access it's not like they release it and go oh no it's done that's the finished game they're they're going to keep updating it they're basically doing early access anyway just without the sort of safety blanket of saying it's in early access like that does so much to just stop fans from tearing your game to shreds just yeah because (laughs) to me it's a no-brainer their expectation is this game isn't finished Mm -hmm. right and there's there's exam- bad examples of early access, right? I'm not saying early access is like this golden ticket that if you do it, everything's going to be great. But like Baldur's Gate, Hades, um, Darkest Dungeon, like there's some fantastic examples. Mm-hmm. Rogue Legacy, I think, was early access as well. Uh, the second one. Um, some great examples of like early access done right. And I'm like, it just makes so much sense to me. I don't understand. Like one of my favorite anyway. games has never come out of early access. Project Zomboid has been in early access for, I think, like eight oh, years. Yeah. And the developer's like, no, there's I... no point because I want to keep adding mechanics to it, like adding new systems. So yeah, just keep it in early access yeah. forever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, at some point you you hit version 1.0, but like when is that? The, the line is hard to draw, yeah. right? Um, And I... Like, like Valheim is another great example of a good early access game where it's like, I like the fact that I'm playing this game that I'm really enjoying. Um, It's the same. I don't know if it's still considered early access, but um, Phasmophobia also, like, I love that I'm playing this game that is like the game that I played in Phasmophobia when I first bought it versus the game that I have now is a completely different game. And that's so fun to me that there's this game I paid like 10 bucks for and I have gotten years and years of enjoyment out of that game because it keeps changing and it keeps changing the experience and it keeps getting better and that's i enjoyed it before and i and i enjoy it now i just don't want them to get rid of the deck chair you know uh, people animations because they're hilarious you know there's parts of it that give it charm but like it's so cool and and yeah yeah i wish i wish more devs more high triple a devs would consider it because mm-hmm. i think it would make such a huge difference um cool all right so will i talk about what i played yeah yes yeah yeah um so i, I like i won't spend too much time on all of them obviously we've talked about Baldur's gate so i won't go over it um but the, honestly the game me and ruben have been playing the most is a game called kingdom two crowns i don't know if you've ever heard of it i've played the first no. one a lot <laughs> okay yeah so two crimes is basically kingdom but you can now play it two player you can now play it multiplayer um so you can hit that addiction pipe with whoever you want with a friend <laughs> with a partner with a sibling um so when you get the base pack there's like three different versions there's like the base version there's shogun which is kind of like japanese inspired and then there's a zombie version which is so much fun Mm. um and the first two are kind of like replications of each other just with different skins zombie has some different ones and then you can buy an upgrade dlc for norselands which does add new mechanics and some new things but the base game is essentially the same and i tell you we the first the when we first (laughs) booted it up and played it we played 40 hours in one week (laughs) because we just kept playing and we couldn't stop and we were having such a good time um but yeah like the premise is really simple you're a monarch on a horse it's a 2d plane and side scrolling from left to right it's all pixely and you're essentially collecting coins building walls getting villagers building up your city it's a city builder but then defending against the greed at night 
and you unlock uh, different hermits that <clears throat> give you more things. You can unlock different mines that give you different things. And so the actual, like the premise of the game is just very, very simple, which kind of makes the game just really peaceful to play. It's, you get into the flow of it really, really easy. Um, and there's just enough of a challenge with the greed that it, it adds a bit of like suspense at times. And um, so it doesn't get that boring. Like it's just a really enjoyable loop. Um, so yeah, we played a lot of that. We're still playing it. We're still playing Norselands right now. Um, <clears throat> um, so it's been really nice because we're always looking for games that we can play together that are actual games rather than, um, uh, I don't know. I hate Overcooked, man. I can't stand Overcooked. <laughs> if I have to look at that game one more time, I'm just going to stab something. Um, but you know, like Jackbox and all those other type of ones, like, um, I, I don't know why for me, it feels like there's not enough game games that you can play as a couple together. Um, but Kingdom Two Crimes is great. Um, I'm, we're enjoying that. Um, there was a couple of updates for uh, the case of the Golden Idol. I don't know. I think I talked about the case of the Golden Idol before, so I won't get too much into it. But essentially, if you played and like the Return of the Oberdin, you will like Case of the Golden Idol because the case of the Golden Idol is essentially oh nice yeah um the case of the golden idol is essentially the same kind of premise except you're given a 2d pixel screen of some shit that's gone down and then you have to click around picking up pieces of ed evidence and exploring the scene and then you have a thinking screen where you're given text with missing spaces where you have to fill in who the people were and what happened um, and like Return of the Oberdin, you're not given all of the information. So you have to try and piece together, hey, what happened in this scene? And then the scenes tell a story, an overarching story. So I really liked the base game. The first DLC, I really, really enjoyed. The second DLC, I also really enjoyed, but I did find this was the first one where some of the logical leaps didn't 100% make sense. So... Like there was one key part of the story where the the like hinting evidence just wasn't there for me. And I ended up getting me and Ruben play these games together as well. Right. Um, and he, he as well, he was like, when we when we got it, when we slotted it in, we were like, what? Where did it tell us? Where was there any evidence that this was the answer? And um, so that's that's the only that but the for one for, for that to only happen once in like an entire you know like game and, and dlcs like that's pretty good as far as this kind of games are concerned to be honest um, um is it on game pass by any chance i don't think so that's I think okay it this sounds Godot, so, it will... so much up like so up my street i'm probably oh, yeah. just gonna have to buy this this afternoon then uh-huh mm. i'm pretty sure it's made in godot so it won't be on console godot doesn't have a console cool. pipeline yet hopefully um but yeah i think it'll beat your jam i think you'll really like it and then there's like an overarching thing that when you get to the end you're like oh it's really good actually in the base game I, I enjoyed that part of it um uh so did i talk about playing rogue legacy 2 before no. Is, what do you think i really liked it it's just rogue legacy but another one <laughs> i mean they added they made the mechanics uh, they added some more mechanics in, made it a bit more interesting. The the new animation and stuff is really, really nice and quite smooth. Um, 
in general, I enjoyed it. That's good. I, what about you? You played it? I have played it, but not a lot. I kept bouncing off it, not because it was bad, but I just, I don't know. I've, I've played so many um, of those roguelike or roguelite or whatever whatever the term is, uh, games. I just, I was playing it for a bit. On the, it was a good one for the Steam Deck, by the way, as well, because it's nice colors. Oh, and works nice. Well on. Um, but I just never got very far because I, I think you need us to be in a certain mood and have a certain level of patience for the, the mandated dying that, that goes with those games. It's the same reason I picked up uh, Lies of P in Game Pass and I was playing it for a bit. And I was like, oh, I can see this is a good game. I just, I, I do not have the patience for this right now. Um, you know, those games that are tough intentionally and being tough and dying is part of the learning. <clears throat> yeah. I, I think I like it because I like learning the mechanics and the rules of a game without really stressing too much about the outcome of a certain, you know, the goal isn't necessarily... Because, like, say, say, for example, I used to play Fortnite, and I'm really bad at Fortnite. So whenever they started bringing in, like, daily rewards or, like, quests or mission, I started to enjoy it a lot more because the, the aim wasn't in the winning. The aim was in the side quest, basically. For me, anyway. And so it's the same for me with roguelikes. I, I was looking at my Steam there, and Binding of Isaac is still the most... The game with the most amount of R's that I have on Steam than anything else. Um, because I would come home from work, I would sit and play one playthrough, which could take anywhere from half an hour to an hour, and then I would go about the rest of my evening. It was like my de-stress. I know this game. I know the mechanics. I get into the flow, and then whenever I die, I die and I'm done. Um, and I did that for years. And so I'm like that, like approaching games like Rogue Legacy uh is kind of the same where i'm like i just I, i'm learning the mechanics i'm learning the characters and then learning the, the 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 enemies and then just kind of enjoying that flow i guess i will admit with this one i feel like i got a little bit more bored towards the end like i was as i was getting toward the end and the bosses were getting way way harder um i was just kind of like nah, can we just like get to the end now i'm kind of over this <laughs> Um, but I still, I did get a lot of it. I got a lot of hours of enjoyment out of it. So not complaining, but I did feel like some of the end bosses got it. Some of the bosses are a bit more tedious than others. Um, but yeah. I think Dead Cells. I feel like if you like Rogue Legacy. For that. Is, huh? it, is it similar to Dead Cells then in the way it would play? That's the only. I say like, yes. Uh, I never, ever, I could never get into Dead Cells, you know. I, I, don't I know why, really love I, that game, but um. But you'll I, think... Li I think you'll like Rogue Legacy. Okay. I'll have a look the, at it. So I've, I, I, I had a thought about this, right? <clears throat> Why did I struggle with Dead Cells when I don't struggle with Rogue Legacy? And I think the part of it is, is that there's certain parts of Dead Cells where you are blocked from continuing yeah. until you defeat that boss. And that really fucked me off what i like and and it's funny because you could argue with binding of isaac that's also the same but i don't know for some reason it just felt different but i guess because um you weren't just like going across one screen i have no idea why but with rogue legacy there's one instance of that but like if i got stuck in one place well i can just go and explore another place for a while mm -hmm. like i don't have to worry about trying to like get past this specific boss to feel like i can continue and for some reason that worked for me where in Dead Cells it didn't. Like if I came up about, uh, up against a boss that I just knew I wasn't capable of or whatever, 
I didn't feel like I could go and explore yeah. somewhere else. Like it was a hard block versus a soft block. And I think that's why like so many people bounced off like Dark Souls and Demon Souls and then find themselves really liking Elden Ring. And then everyone yeah, who liked Dark Souls yeah, was like, but it's the exact same, it's the exact <laughs> same. But the key difference is, oh, I'll just go over there then. Because that thing's yeah. scary. I got stuck. I'll go fuck around yeah. somewhere else and then I'll come back when I feel more Such a it. simple change. But like, yeah, it, it does increase accessibility yeah. to an unbelievable degree. So, yeah. Even if they don't so, add any other accessibility options. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, don't so, get me started. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> say that again? I was going to say, don't get me started. <laughs> yeah, you have very strong. You've talked about it a lot on the show. Yeah, as well. you have very strong. Yeah, thoughts. yeah, just pause, um, pause button. So that was Rogue Legacy, and um, the last three games I'll kind of talk about as a, a whole, I guess, because they're kind of related. And um, one was Venba, another one was Coffee Talk, Coffee Talk Two, and then the last one is Dordogne. I think I'm saying it right. And so Venba, they're they're all kind of very more, much more narrative based small games. So Venba is really, it's a really, really short game. It's maybe a couple of hours, but it is a narrative game that follows uh, an Indian couple, specifically the Indian woman, having moved from India to Canada and what their lives are like whilst living as immigrants, raising their son uh, and, and what happens in their life. But all through the kind of, I think the main uh, vision or, or vision's not the right word, but all through the, the same, all through the funnel of like food and the food that they cook and what, you know, the, the cultural references and significant. And so the first thing you do is like, you've got you know, you've got an old book from your mother, but it's all smudged and you have to try and like figure out the recipe and stuff like that. Um, and then eventually it, you're, you're playing as the son who's like figuring out and rediscovering his own cultural roots and stuff. So it's a really lovely game. I think my only complaint is that it was a bit, it was really short. I would have loved a little bit more of it, but it was beautifully written. The visuals are fantastic. The sound was great. It overall was just a nice experience um, and I would highly recommend it. Um, Coffee Talk 2 is, again, it's like Rogue Legacy. It's just more Coffee Talk. If you liked Coffee Talk 1, you will like Coffee Talk 2. Um, and it's a similar thing of you are speaking with people in your coffee shop and you're making them coffee and based on things that you serve them or things that you say to them, it changes what happens in the story, but it's very much just a story during game. Um, and it's the kind of game that it's not very long, but I just really enjoy that kind of like, I'm just chilling, making some coffee, is it, talking to people. Is it kind of, I'm looking at it on the Steam page here, very positive reviews, um, hmm. 934, oh, overwhelmingly positive. Is it kind of like a visual novel? Is that fair? It's a visual novel, okay. essentially. Yeah, same with Vemba. Both really essentially visual novels with like light mechanics in it. Um, it's set in a parallel present where orcs and elves and succubi and everything live amongst each other um within america it's set in seattle um so it's like heavy racist overtones um of well we just got basic rights and blah 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 um but or the one of the big one is the succubi and an elf are getting married and the elf's family have basically denounced him but then that means he loses his immortality and there's a whole story in that so it's not it's it's like you're playing in this kind of fantastical world 
I love um, the, but, the top three most helpful reviews in Steam. No context for me. Number one, much better experience than the cruel life as a Starbucks barista. Number two, <laughs> I hope I'll find my coffee talk in real life. And number three, quietly messing up every single order while an influencer is live streaming the entire thing. That gives me an insight into the... Yeah, that happens. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so anyway, um, I also tried playing it in French because I'm trying to learn French. So I played the first episode in French and then I played it in English and I was really pleased with myself that I understood as much as, as I did. But um, I didn't play the rest of it in French because that's really difficult. For, I'm not going to lie. Um, but speaking of French, oh, I didn't what even plan segue. this. What a oh. segue! Um, the next game that I played, and I wasn't going to talk about it, but I did decide to talk about it, um, Dordogne. Um, and the reason I didn't want to talk about it is that I didn't play very much of it. But it came into a conversation where me and Aiden were talking about when a game blocks you from enjoying it um, otherwise, right? And so this game is gorgeous. Like, it's basically the visuals of a watercolor art scene. A playable watercolor painting. It's beautiful. The um the sound is gorgeous. Like I imagine playing it, it if I can get into it, it's just gonna be this relaxing visual novel style, you know, putting myself in the shoes of a young girl in France, right? If if God forbid if that that would ever have been my life. Um but I got blocked pretty early in, like 10, 15 minutes in. And I, I don't want to be too harsh about it because I, I do know some of the devs and, and I know they put their heart and soul into this game. But the, one of the first mechanics that you have to do is you're at, you, as an adult, you went back to visit this house in France and you've got a key to open the door. And I was on console. It probably would be easier with a mouse, but I was on console and you have to get the key into the lock. And if you even slightly missed... You drop the key and you start from the start. And I'm like, I fucking hate this. I I can't, my controller is shit at it. She's moving her hands around. I've been at this for minutes. This is not why, this is a lovely, beautiful, casual visual novel. Why am I stuck trying to stick a key in the door? I don't understand what's happening. And like, most people, I think, understand that the introduction to a game tells you what you're set to expect. And the same with a movie and a book and everything else. It sets the tone for the rest of the game. So I played this and I got to this mechanic and I was like, you are telling me with this mechanic what to expect from the game. So now I'm just expecting that I'm going to play the rest of this game and it's going to be these irritating, shoehorned feel feeling in mechanics that really just don't... I don't they're, they're it's not fun and I'm not enjoying it and it's keeping me from playing what I feel like is otherwise going to be a great game um, and so I dropped off I stopped right there I, I don't even think I opened the door I think I closed the game because I was like this is like fucking hate this um and it's such a shame because even the reviews of people who have played are positive it's obviously a lovely game and if I can get past this maybe it will never come up again and I'll enjoy it but um yeah, it's such a damn shame where it's like that you, the start of your game is everything. Mm -hmm. The first 20 minutes, the first half an hour is everything. And I think that there was a time where as gamers, we were a lot more forgiving with the start of a game, I think, because uh, so many made the mistake of not making their introduction like an introduction, right? Um, even if I think about I played Yakuza 0 and the start of that game is 
so fucking boring. It, it's the a first lot hour of and a half. Yeah. And you just and then you'd karaoke and then I'm like, what what the fuck is this game? It's so bad. And then I stopped playing. And if it wasn't for Anna being the savior that she is, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have uh, or the Messiah, should I say, I wouldn't have gone back. And then I did go back and I discovered how amazing it was. And I had a great time with the game. But like your first R should be like a big bang to further and then and then then like sets the stage for the rest of the game. Um, and so. Yeah. I think the game's going to be great and I will give it another go and I will talk about it again. But like, be warned, <laughs> friends. I'm an adult now. I ain't got time for this shit. <laughs> but I think, yeah, like... I don't know. If it's an action that you do in real life every day, like put a key in a door, it shouldn't take longer in a video game to achieve it. I think that should be like the rule. Can, can the players have done this in real life? Does this take them longer than it would take them to do in real life? Then we need to change it. Okay, so... I feel like I understand why they did it, right? You are going back to this house as an adult that you visited a lot as your child because your grandmother has died. And I think what they're trying to convey with this is how nervous you are to go back into this house. Okay. Okay. And so that's why the hand is shaking. And, and like, I get it. I understand it. It's still shit to play. Like, <laughs> I played Gree, which is all about you know mm -hmm. well there's lots of different interpretations but i interpret it as the process of grief and they use mechanics to help convey the process of grief and they're all fun they're all enjoyable they all add to the flow none of them take me out of the game i really like it as a game so it's one of those things where it's like i get what you were trying to achieve it's just not good <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Maybe and and maybe others don't won't agree. And maybe like honestly, if I think if I wasn't using a controller, maybe it wouldn't be so bad. But like, did no one play test this with a controller if it's going to be on Xbox to see was it actually something that worked or was good or functioned as they? Because instead of being feeling that nervousness, I just felt frustration. Hmm. Um. So yeah, I'm. I, I will play it, and I. I hopefully we'll give a better review but for now um it's kind of like a parable for all games not just indie games of be more wary about your first opening 20 minutes because it can make or break whether somebody plays your game mm. well i will say starfield's opening was i thought like pulling teeth um oh. and it was really oh, frustrating because no. like even things like the ign review was talking about how after the first 12 hours the game really you know get you know comes into its own i'm like no that's like three games worth of length that i need to put in before the game gets acceptable yeah, but no. it's got 12 hours anymore <laughs> like are you serious it also it didn't get good it just got fine like at yes. best <laughs> yeah it stopped holding my hand through boring stuff and it let me explore the boring stuff on my own that's the only so, difference what do you think you are a jj a jrpg from the 90s um. <laughs> Yeah, I also think there's an, there's an interesting there. I mean, good. obviously, when making a game, uh, the designers and developers have to choose how to model real life things. Do you remember the, the big conversation around Red Dead Redemption Two and the resources about like, you know, making the horse shit itself in the wild, <laughs> or like, you know, like <laughs> no, no longer you sacrifice the convenience of calling your horse from anywhere for the realism mm -hmm. of the course had to be nearby this kind of thing and you know uh, developers yeah, have can't be arse that yeah developers make this kind of like 
decision about the concessions they make to real life. Um, and, and it's interesting. And here we have the key example. It's like, well, you know, there's the shaking of the hand and the stuff. Uh, and for me, a bugbear of mine is, you see this thing, in, especially in the horror genre, where flashlights only last 10 minutes. I just, they last days in real life. <laughs> Find some other way of making tension in your horror game because I just can't take it seriously. I know it's a small, unimportant thing, but there you go. I honestly think the scariest thing in a horror game that if you want to hark back to the oldie days is static cameras and not being able to see all angles. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you could also add in not being able to move whilst you're aiming. I also think is, was a genuinely really scary mechanic because then you can only choose to move or shoot and you can't do both. And like, if you think about the original alone in the dark, those camera angles, they were awful. And that was terrifying. <laughs> yeah, like, I, it's sort of, like, th- this, is, this hasn't come out of nowhere. A lot of the promo material for Alan Wake 2 was released in the last couple of weeks. Looking pretty good. Um, but it's a hor- Yeah, it went from being like a suspense game to a horror game. Yeah, I think yeah, it's really a survival horror now, apparently. That's what yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm all for that. I feel about that. Especially because yeah. the previews have been saying they're leaning into, like, it feels like Resident Evil 4, which you'll all know I gushed over at the start of the year. So that's great. But I saw they've kept that core mechanic of you have to, like, burn the shadows off the enemies with the, the, with the flashlight. And I just think, God, I remember, like, those 70,000 candle, like, <laughs> like torches you can buy out of B&Q and it just in real life you'd be going and frying entire groups of enemies <laughs> with this thing so it wouldn't be that tense but anyway uh, Alan Wake 2 looking good but we'll we'll get to that I'm sure in a couple of weeks yeah we'll reserve um, which is an interesting because Alan Wake isn't that by the same folks that did Control it's Remedy mm-hmm. Control yeah it's Remedy right mm-hmm. it's an interesting departure from them because basically their entire games catalogue there was Quantum something Quantum Break Quantum Break, Control, Max Payne 1 and 2. Max Payne. Did they never do a third one? The third one was Rockstar. Oh, Mm -hmm. interesting. Okay, I didn't know that. Um, But, like, they've just... Remedy have kind of made a name for themselves of making freaky-deaky shooters. (laughs) That's all I can describe it. Right? It's freaky-deaky shooters. So they're not quite horror. (laughs) Yeah, I I love it. I've played... I played Max Payne 1. I actually only played Max Payne 1 a couple of years ago. Um, I played Control. I played Quantum Break. Like, I played everything aside from Max Payne 2. I've bought it. 2 is very good. I stream it. But it's never going to happen. <laughs> um, uh, so, and I love all of them. Control was so enjoyable. Especially mm-hmm. when you got to the stage where you like unlocked the mechanics that are like your mechanics. Um, just really fun. I loved just being a zippy, slammy asshole. Zippy slam. It reminded me of playing the Mass Effect 3 online multiplayer thingy where if you played as a vanguard you could be like a zippy slammy asshole it was so much fun um but yeah so for them to move into like actual survival heart that's that's gonna be a big change for them actually i'm not sure i'm i'm still not sure how i feel about it because i like their freaky deaky shooter genre thing it's still not sure pretty freaky deaky in terms of the tone like it's very lynch Esque. yeah but mm-hmm. more survival horror instead of boom boom i like the boom boom to be fair you would a lot of people say resident evil 4 is survival horror and i can see where they're coming from but also a lot of it just feels like an action game when you're playing it for all the reasons i liked it so the much the new one not the remake the old one as well yes well the remake specifically. the remake okay yeah 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 because the old one seemed to have more of those like survival horror limited resources mm. you can only 
shoot whilst you're staying still, yada, yada. But the remake didn't mm -hmm. have that. I think the resource management thing was still... That's where a lot of survivor horror, horror, I think, comes from. It's the resource management, right? Because you only have limited resources, so you have to make strategic decisions on how you use them. And that's where the horror comes in. Um, she says, not really ever playing any of those games, <laughs> just knowing intellectually from watching lots of videos about games that I've never played, I which I do all the time. I think that's what's, <laughs> what was... I have watched hours of videos on silent hill and i will never play those games <laughs> well, i'm never but it's so interesting i'm never playing anyway. silent hill i will say just interesting note on that the uh, designers and creators of dead space used cited resident evil 4 the original as uh inspiration only they're talking exactly what you just talked about kitty about how resource management is a sort of a crutch in survival horror often and um, one of the unique yeah. things about Dead Space is, there is you always have enough ammo for the weapons and things that you want to use. And they're focused on drawing the horror out of like the things that were coming out of the walls instead and the atmosphere. So Yeah, cool. not a huge fan of that either. I'd rather the resource management than things jumping out at me, honestly. <laughs> not, not, and it's funny because I, I do play horror games sometimes, but I really love suspenseful horror so much more than uh then i don't know jumpy out at you hard oh dead space has both all of those all of the above i don't want all i want one <laughs> i only like one i'm trying to think of an example of a game that embodies that that i played that i liked and i can't think of a single one off the top of my head obviously i play a lot of phasmophobia but that doesn't really count and i also play a lot of dead by daylight but that also doesn't count alien isolation did you play it there's no. a lot of suspense in there Arguably too okay. much. I don't. I as someone who adores horror films, I am not good with horror games. The the it's it's the wrong type of stressful for me. I've I played games like <clears throat> Carrion. Does that count as horror? Yes. No. You but you're the monster. monster. Yeah, I think if you're, you're the, the monster, monster, it can't be horror. But I liked Carrion. It was fun. Um, Serena. I played that. That was a horror. Apparently, I played System Shock 2 for 18 minutes. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, uh, there, there, I know that there is like a slim, there's like a slim uh, type of horror game that I like to play. And the rest, I'm just, can't, I can't, oh, The Evacuation of Hobbs Barrow is a horror game and I fucking loved it. I have never so heard of it. So there you go. There's an example. The Excavation of Hobbs Barrow. If you want suspenseful horror, oh. it's not going to jump out at you. You will fucking love this I game. I have heard of this and I really want to play it. It looks It's gorgeous. only five hours long. Wonderful. And it is really good. And it it's a point and click adventure game, right? But it, it gets across. Oh, there's one. Detention. Detention is a fantastic horror game that doesn't play on jump scares. It doesn't play on resource management. What happens in it is if you come across a monster... You have to hold your breath, but your breath holding only lasts for a certain amount of time. Fun. And and if you stop breathing, it runs after you and it runs slightly faster than you. And it's fucking terrifying, but but in the way that like uh, is enjoyable and not like I hate this. Mm. Okay. It's very good. There you go. So there is there is there is examples. <laughs> um, I knew there was, but anyway. That's that's me. Uh, I rambled on for quite a bit there, but that was fine. We had a we had banter. That's good. It's it's officially October, so I think we can uh, we can talk about horror games. 
I've just got the pumpkins. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we can talk about horror games because it's October. Well, well, maybe... Oh, maybe I should play some horror games for the next time we talk, seeing as it's Halloween. Yeah. But by the time it releases, will it release in time? For... <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> this Halloween one is a period. It's a, it's a period of time. This is fine. It's a state of mind. Yeah. It's always Halloween. It's a way of being. Uh, what's do you have a do you play a lot of horror games, Chris? No, you seem like you do. You mentioned Dead Space. No, it's it's just really more action horror. Um, I uh, oh, okay. because I used to, I mean, I like my action games, but the problem is the way the games development industry has gone. The big actiony games, um, it, it used to be in the sort of PS3 era, you had like lots of over the shoulder third person action games, and they've kind of died off a bit. And now, action horror are picking up that mantle where I have the games to go around shooting things or like uh but it, like action games that are story driven uh and horror and like horror action games usually have a really interesting world or setting because i mean it's horror they've used their imagination right so i just find they're a really good balance for that you know i like all my horror movies and stuff but i don't like i'm not going to go and play outlast or something that's too scary or alien isolation i have to have like some means of fighting back if, mm. if i'm not doing this thing where i'm hiding like you know crawling around hiding in cupboards from, from things that's not like my idea of fun yeah there was a game that came out, and I can't remember for the life of me what it was called, but it was a, a wee uh, pixel kind of game where you played as a robot lady going into... It was out last year. Um, God, what was that called? Callisto? No, it wasn't Callisto Protocol. Oh, no, it wasn't no. that. That was the, the attempted dead space that fell kind of flat. Yeah, I don't know where it... Oh, it's a beautiful looking game as well and it's a survival horror um where you play as this robot trying to find i guess your human counterpart within this facility that uh where there's been like a mechanical bioweapon that is taking over all the other robots and you're having to fight them so they're kind of like zombies and it's really really suspenseful and it's one of those ones where you can only shoot or stand mm. those kind of mechanics um it was made by a German team, but it is weeb as fuck. I can't remember <laughs> what it's called. But Bertine, I was watching Bertine play it, actually. I wasn't playing that one myself. That's why I can't find it in the list. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's annoying. I can't remember what it's called. 12 minutes? No. Um, all right, so let's leave it there. Uh, this was a great uh, second episode, and we're hoping that we'll be very regular now for the... We're much better during the winter months because what else is there to do exactly. <laughs> so um yeah thanks very much for listening folks and we'll see you in a couple of weeks bye everyone bye, bye. bye.